Well, we welcome you to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan as Brad Hallier joins me. Well, Brad, I'm going to I'll warn you tonight, I'm going to be a little down in the dumps on some of the conversation. <laughs> I, I follow four teams, and uh, they all four went down in smoke this weekend. So uh, uh, it's kind of a tough rooting weekend for me, uh, the football-wise at least. Well, yeah, I mean, I know we'll talk about, about uh, all of our teams. Uh, it, it, it was kind of tough, but, you know, the good thing about me is, uh, you know, I've, I kind of expand my horizons a little bit and, you know, uh, the Europe, my, the European side of football was kind to me this weekend, so at least I had that going for me. Well, I used to like the Australian side, but I don't get to see that anymore. So uh, <laughs> maybe maybe some year we'll talk Australian rules football. Well, let's talk uh, the final week of the regular season in the high school ranks. We'll look at the Ad Astra schedule for Friday night, 94.7, 2-5, Sterling travels to 2-5. Owen for Ellenwood. Both teams have been eliminated from playoff contention. So this one's to try to finish out your year strong. Sterling, 21-0 loss against Trinity last week. And Ellenwood, a 27-6 loss at Medicine Lodge. Uh, I think this is going to be a really good game on paper. Uh, obviously, their schedules have been similar. I think it's going to be a really good game. And, uh, I think the winner of this game has a real good shot, maybe getting to four and five and, and really ending the season on a, a real positive note. Yeah. If you win that, uh, win, win this game this week, you'd have the, the opportunity to host uh, the, the play out game, I guess is what you could call it and potentially get a win there as well. So, you know, if you're Sterling, you know, we thought that they would be one of the more improved teams in the area and they had a very good start to the season, just not a lot of depth and uh, a tough district also with uh, the likes of Inman and Conway and Trinity. So, uh, you know, I, I do like uh, Sterling to finish out the regular season on a positive and, and then if they could get that, uh, that extra game and, and win that uh boy, four and five looks pretty good for a team that's really struggled to win any games in the last couple of years. Yeah, it would be, especially considering they've been playing a freshman quarterback most of the season. So it'll be curious to see who comes out on top Sterling at Ellenwood. 95.9 simulcasting this week with 98.9 because it's rivalry time. Six and one McPherson at four and three Bueller Mac. 46-21 victory against Mulvane, and Bueller wins their four straight and secured a home playoff game in the opening round by beating Rose Hill 21-3. to I-, I like the way Bueller's playing, Brad. This is obviously a much different Bueller team than we're used to, and the thing that really stands out to me, you look at comparative scores, I think this one's got to be 21-17, 17-14, somewhere in that neighborhood for Bueller to win, if this one starts to get 28, 35 points on the board for one of the teams, I, I, I think Bueller will lose in a shootout. You know, Bueller's defense has really been playing well these days, Scott. I mean, I think they've given up, what, just two touchdowns in the last four games. Uh, three touchdowns technically, but one of them was special teams against Augusta. They shut out Winfield. They allowed just seven to Mulvane, 14 against Augusta, one which is with special teams, three to Rose Hill. So they definitely are getting it done defensively. Can that defense stand up against a good team like McPherson? Uh, you know, we'll see. But uh, a lot a lot to be asking this Bueller defense. But if they can hold that McPherson team to three touchdowns or less, I think they'll have a chance. And, you know, it's so jumbled right now in the 4A West standings that, 
you know, Bueller at five and three, if they would win, could conceivably be in the mix for a top four seed. But a loss, uh, boy, that could really tumble them down. I, I, they will still finish among the top eight because Rose Hill at three and four, uh, Bueller would have the tiebreaker on them. So they, uh, de- it's it's just going to be tough, I think, for Bueller if they lose this one to really get much more than an eight seed. They're seeded six right now, which would be a very good seed. So, but so so many teams right now: Wellington four and three, Bueller four and three, Andover Central four and three, Abilene four and three. Then you got Rose Hill at three and four. So. A, a lot of football out there to be played in just one week that will decide a lot going forward. Well, and it could theoretically, you could see Bueller Rose Hill is the eight, nine game um, where they're sitting there. That's because Rose Hill, um, if they win, they'd be four and four sitting there at the nine. Obviously Bueller, if they lost still has the head to head. So they could turn around and play Rose Hill again. That's just the, the crazy thing uh, about seeding and the way things could happen. But, uh, we'll see again. Rivalry game, Mac at Bueller, ninety six point seven. Hard to believe, but this one has playoff implications as well as one and six, zero oh and three. Nickerson at three and four, zero oh and three. Smoky Valley, Nickerson lost fifty five fourteen against Pratt, and Smoky Valley in non district play won big at Hillsboro fifty to six. Smoky Valley was happy to see somebody other than Andale Cheney and Pratt. I can pretty much assure you that that was their last three weeks. Um, They got a win here. Uh, I think they get the win tonight. And you look across at the other district, Smoky Valley, Brad, a a four and four team. That would be a tough first round matchup for whoever that they would be seated against. Well, it'll be most likely Scott City, who's very good, keep in mind. But Smokey's seen Andale. They, they, they competed against Cheney, 27 to 14. They competed against Pratt, 47 to 30. You know, they got a solid win against Halstead. You know, they've got a couple big uh, lopsided victories over Haven, Larned, and Hillsborough. You know, if Smokey beats Nickerson, and I think you and I would agree that that's probably going to happen, that's not going to be an easy first round game for Scott City. I mean, tougher Smokey to make that long trip out west. But I tell you what, the Smokey is going to be well-tested. It's not going to be anything that they haven't seen before. Well, they're not going to be in- intimidated at all. I said that, that – I don't know if you could find any tougher three weeks in any uh, classification than they went through. And as we mentioned, Andale, Cheney, and Pratt. So, yeah, I, I, I certainly like Smokey in this game at home. And I would give them the puncher's chance going out west against Scott City. I wouldn't be picking them, but wouldn't be surprised to see um, that they could give Scott City a pretty good ball game. 100.3 as a really nice matchup. 4-3, and 4-0 and in the district. Conway Springs at 6-1, and 3-1 and Trinity. Conway Springs opened everybody's eyes last weekend, not just beating Inman, but beating Inman convincingly. 35-14, Trinity shut out Sterling. 21 to nothing if Trinity wins this ball game, Brad. It's going to come down to the point differential because it would be a Trinity, Conway, Inman three-way tie. If Conway Springs, obviously, they win. They're district champion, but what a way to turn around the season. They were 0-3 with Conway Springs, and now they are maybe on as big a roll as anybody. This is going to be, this is going to be a really good ball game. Not just 0-3, but Conway's kind of an ugly 0-3. They didn't score their first points until September 16th, the third game of the season. 
against Chaparral, a game they lost by 25 points. And since then, you know, they've got big wins over Medicine Lodge, Ellenwood, Sterling, and Inman. And admittedly, those first three wins, I don't think anybody really turned their heads about just because you expect Conway Springs to beat those kind of teams. But then they just just clobbered Inman by 21 points. You know, the, the consensus number one in Class 1A. And now Conway... Uh, at top of the district at 4-0, and, you know, is a tr- Trinity uh, can win that game. Then he can start getting out the calculators, and Inman's going to be doing some scoreboard watching if they win their game. So uh, much to be decided still in this district. Uh, like I said, if, um, you know, it's, it's entirely possible. Get a load of this, Scott. It's, it's entirely possible if Trinity wins this game. They're currently in second place in the district, but if they win, they could still fall to third. How? Well, once again, you got the you, you get the calculators out if they uh, end up winning and Inman wins as well, because then you have the three-way tie and you go into point difference. Yeah, and Inman gets Medicine Lodge, which uh, you would think that they're going to try to pour, pour it on against Medicine Lodge um, just because of that. Um, boy, I tell you, Trinity's defense really, really good. Ah, boy, this is a tough one for me to me to call. My, my first inkling – I says go with the home team in this one but i tell you conway's on a roll they like i said to beat inman the way they did um this is certainly and in my head a pick game i can't really get i can't commit myself either way on this one and that's the kind of games i love seven games into the season scott trinity has allowed only more than 18 points once and that was in that 21 to 3 loss to inman so that defense has just been suffocating the entire season so I, I think that Trent, I think regardless, this is going to be a low scoring game and which doesn't go well for Trinity when it comes to possibly winning the district or even finishing second. But I tell you what, man, would you want to be, you know, the runner up from district eight and have to play one of those three teams? I mean, you know, Plainville is looking like they're, they're going to finish. Uh, I think they're actually already locked into the number two seat out of district eight. How would you have to play seven and one Trinity in the first round? Mm. It could happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at that District 8, and Ellis is ineligible. They had a forfeit in there, right? Currently, they were sitting in the tide for the third spot. So, you know, it's it looks like it may already pretty much be decided. I, I don't have the schedules up, but Oakley, Plainville, Syracuse, and Stanton County. So, you, you could certainly look at – it's not a, a far stretch to say Conway, Trinity, and Inman all advance. Yeah, yeah, uh, completely. And then, you know, it, then you just kind of look at the bracket after that. But, uh, you know, it's it's uh, I, I can't remember how it's all set up, but, you know, you could see a, a situation where you could see a rematch, I think, in, as early as the second round. I'd have to go back and look at that to see how the bracket looks. But I know that there are possibilities out there for, you know, er, early rematches just based on how the bracket looks. I'm going to bring that up actually right now because I'm kind of intrigued by that. So if we look at the, the district champion for uh, – is that District 7, is that correct? Yes, Inman is District 7. So the District 7 champion in the second round could play the third-place team from District 7. So you could have conceivably a Conway-Trinity rematch in the second round uh, if that happens. And keep in mind, Trinity could win this game and still finish third. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, boy. Lots of scoreboard watching going to go on on Friday night, and also some scoreboard watching with the Kicks Country game of the week: four and three, two and one, Garden Plain at seven and zero, oh, 
three and O Kingman Garden Plain forty nine to ten over Douglas Kingman shut out Haven forty two to nothing again another potential for a three way tie as you've got Chaparral they're gonna be playing Douglas they have just one district loss so if Garden Plain win would throw this one into a three way tie you'd go to the points obviously if Kingman wins um, they're the outright district champion in this district. Boy, this is an intriguing one, Brad. This is across from this is District Six, across from District Five, which has currently Southeast of Celine and Ellsworth, who play one another this weekend to decide the district champion there. And, and you look at this, you could have, uh, you know, say Kingman loses this ball game, Brad, and they fall, um, say to the two spot. What about a? Uh, you, you could potentially have a, an Ellsworth. I guess you couldn't actually have Ellsworth Kingman unless they somehow fell to the three spot, which I don't anticipate. But uh, Southeast of Selene and Ellsworth setting across from this district, that, that that's brutal. You, This is a huge game. I, I expect Kingman to win, but to stay away from those two for the first couple of rounds, I think that's going to be really, really crucial. Kingman hasn't really gotten a lot of credit as one of the most steady teams in the area, Scott. And how about this? This I, I don't know this for sure, but this could be the first time that Kingman, if they would win, would have an undefeated regular season. You know, they've been so consistent in, in their in terms of victories and making the playoffs and and winning playoff games. But boy, it's uh, it, it's a it's a school without a lot of football history, and for them to go and and run the table and go into the postseason undefeated, I think that would just be a tremendous accomplishment. Of course, you know you're doing it. Uh, uh, Conway Springs or uh, Garden Plain is the team that's standing in their way. And it's kind of funny. Uh, unfortunately for Garden Plain, they've alternated wins and losses this year. Well, they won last week. So if we go if we go just based on history, uh, that's not a good sign. But on the other hand, that means that they would be primed to win their first playoff game too. So uh, just another one of those uh, uh, districts that we're going to be uh, doing a lot of school. So that's Garden playing at Kingman on 106.1. Stream number one, four and three, three and one. Gossel at six and one, four and oh. Little River and eight man division one. Gossel, a thrilling 48 40 overtime victory at Mound Ridge. That was Mound Ridge's first district loss. They play Harrington this week, does Mound Ridge. And then Little River shut out Pretty Prairie 54 to nothing. So a Gossel upset win. And there you go again, Brad. You could have a three-way tie um, for that district championship. Uh, Gossel's got a solid team. I Little River really, really good. Just that week one loss to Canton Galva. Um, I look for Little River on their home field to win this game and sew up the district. But again, more, more scoreboard watching here in, in this one. I do like Gossel, too, just a lot of injuries. I saw them against Pretty Prairie a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I tell you, if, if you could take a, take the injured players from Gossel and Pretty Prairie and form their own teams and make them healthy, that would have been a pretty pretty good team. That would been a heck of a team. So Little, Little River, I mean, their only loss this year is to, or to, to Canton Galva, and that's the only uh, game that Canton Galva has gone all four quarters. That really tells you how good Little River is to be able to take a team like Canton Galva, not just uh, take them all four quarters, but heck, they scored 36 points against them. And the rest of their games combined, Scott, uh, uh, Canton Galva's going up 18 points. So that really tells you a lot about Little River. And I don't anticipate them losing this one. They're going to win this one, I say, and, and get that district championship. And, uh, you know, set the table. It's kind of odd to say, but then it set the table for 
a run through the eastern side of eight-man division one. Yeah, and you, you look at the district that they're paired off against district. This is district four, district three, Caldwell, South or South Haven, seven and zero. Um, Burden Central High School five and two, Wichita Independent six and one. That's your top three teams right now in that district, and those will be the top three teams. Boy, again, some of that cross district play is, is going to be exciting to watch. Well, even uh, Attica Argonia could be Little River's first opponent, and Attica Argonia has got a pretty good history. Uh, last uh, several years, they've been pretty consistent in four and three right now. If they beat Oxford to clinch that last playoff spot, they go to uh, five and three. So, in, in a tough district, so uh, that's uh, that, that's a pretty uh, pr- pretty tough district to be matched up against. And that's Gospel at Little River Sports Number One on Sports Number Two. This is uh, a playoff spot available here as well. 0-7-0-3 Lions at 1-6-0-3 Hillsboro. Boy, Brad, I was scoreboard watching this. I, I was afraid my alma mater was going to join the Andale-Nickerson ranks last week, but Southeast of Saline managed just 94 to nothing against Lions. Hillsboro lost 50-6 to against Smoky Valley. Um, boy, t- a couple of teams... Uh, Hillsborough had such a fantastic year last year. They got hit hard with graduation, as did Lions. Lions won three games a year ago. Uh, boy, both teams struggling to put points on the board, especially Lions. I, I look for maybe a close one here. Uh, I guess I would probably slightly favor Hillsborough on their home field. Yeah, and Hillsborough's had a pretty good run these last few years. Just got hit hard by graduation last year and of course being in the same league they see a lot of the same teams so you know they got the 21 nothing win over uh, nickerson back in week two and you know they, they've had some competitive losses since then they only lost to heston 28 to 18 you know 28 nothing to undefeated uh, ellsworth nothing to hang your head about uh, but you know last few weeks have been pretty tough you know losing to halstead southeast of Selena and smoky uh, by at least 40 points each time or uh, they, they've given up at least five, i should say 46 points each time so, you know, Hillsborough's got a chance here to, to finish the se- uh, regular season with a win and, you know, at, at least uh, get that chance to play some playoff football. Well, and they would probably have to go uh, to Kingman, as it would look like if Kingman would be district champion, Hillsborough would be the four seed. That would be a, uh, boy, brutal first-round matchup. But, you know, Hillsborough would relish the opportunity uh, that's our uh, Ad Astra schedule, Brad. The game I will have on Friday night, the game time game of the week through your view, Cox Channel 22. We'll see the South, Wichita Southeast against Dodge City. Southeast is one and six, Dodge is three and four. Um, if nothing else, Brad, this is going to be a battle of the best mascots of the season. It's the Golden Buffaloes against the Red Demons. I don't you get that one very often. Uh, Dodge has been up and down. Southeast is really, really young. And Southeast has been playing a road game every week. They don't have a home field this year due to a um, turf issue. Um, they've been, they're going to play this game at beautiful Northwest Stadium. Uh, got to visit actually this evening with both coaches, both excited to be um, getting a little TV exposure. I would favor Dodge in this. Um, Southeast has got a really nice running back. If they can get him going, I think maybe they keep this close. But I, I think Dodge will, will get it done on the road. 
Yeah, Dodgers got uh, they they got a lot. Of city, they're they're virtually a city league team with the amount that they played. They beat West thirty four to six. They beat South forty two to twelve. So they do have um, you know experience playing in, against city league teams. And uh, West is a team a common opponent. West beat Southeast this year thirty to twelve. And then you look at the um, you know you always get, look at the standings and you know Dodge City not out of the realm yet to get a home playoff game. They would have to win and get a lot of help. But it's still within the realm of possibility that they could nudge their way up into eighth place and maybe get a first round home game. Uh, but even a victory there, you know, they, they could still maybe have a first round opponent that, you know, would be possibly be on the manageable side. It, it would have to be on the road, uh, potentially at maybe a Wichita Heights or something like that. So get back into the, once again, back into the city league action. But uh, uh, yeah, I agree. I think Dodge uh, wins this one and uh, going to, goes into the postseason on, on a positive. Um, we're doing uh, two weeks of the postseason there on the uh, game time game of the week, and we get to choose our matchups. And when we were looking at this, if it breaks down in the way we kind of think it is, do you know what our week two matchup could most likely be in Class 6A? Week two matchup 6A. Uh Boy, I'm I'm gonna say just kind of sca- scouring Class Six right here. Could we see something like a Wichita Northwest and Junction City or something like that? It would be Northwest and Derby. Eesh. Second week. Second week. Because oh, wait a minute, as <laughs> the three and six teams seeding right now, so you'd be down to eight. So three would play six if the seeding held out and they both won. <laughs> How about that for a week two matchup in the Round of eight quarterfinals. Well, good thing is, uh, as members of the media, we can enjoy that stuff, but the fans maybe not so much. <laughs> oh my goodness! What a oh, I, I I would sign I'd sign up for that one right now. I mean, that would be. We've seen both of those teams; both are fantastic. That that would be that would be an amazing amazing game. We hope, we hope it's going to play out that way because. Oh, would you that, see who Northwest gets this week? Uh. Was is it going to be who do they play? I did not see who they played this week. They're at Manhattan. They are at Manhattan. Okay, undefeated and top ranked Manhattan. Manhattan got Derby in week one by three points. So, yeah, incredible matchups that could be coming up. We're not sure on our our uh, first night. We're possibly looking at possibly maybe East and Heights, which would be in a really intriguing game if those seeds hold out the seven ten matchup would be a fun one um so we'll let we'll let everybody know what those games are so that's our look at the high school schedule and then it'd be um a week from thursday i think eight man playoffs will get started on a thursday night as usual and then a week from friday it's week one of the high school playoffs so it's a great time of year and as we move into our college ranks, Brad. I'm not even sure where to start here, so let's uh, let's start ripping the band-aids off a little bit here. We'll start with uh, the KU Jayhawks, Brad, who lost their second straight this past Saturday, 52 to 42 at Oklahoma. Um, they get Oklahoma just in time for Dylan Gabriel to come back to play quarterback for the Sooners after he uh, recovered from a concussion, and I think. My first takeaway, Brad, from this game is the biggest oxymoron from that game was Kansas defense because there was none. 
No, I think Oklahoma had over 700 yards, if I'm not mistaken. And um, you'd be correct. Yeah, uh, I it, it, it's you know they're just they're awfully banged up right now, Scott. And I knew that there was going to be if there was going to be a problem with this Kansas team going into the season, it was going to be lack of depth and boy and it's not just the guy it's just not injuries i mean it's it's who's getting hurt i mean you're getting some of the top players on both sides of the ball getting hurt right now but i think that one thing that okay you can really hold its hat on right now is how well jason bean has been playing now jason bean is not there, there's a reason that he was the number two quarterback going into the season behind jalen daniels is because of jalen daniels is better but I, th- I think as a KU fan, you can't be disappointed with what you've seen in the offense and with Jason Bean so far in Jalen Daniels' absence. I mean, they put up 42 points at Oklahoma. They put up a lot of points in the second half against TCU. And, you know, being 16 out of 27 for 265, he, he rushed for 41 yards. You know, Devin Neal rushed for 84 yards and a touchdown. I mean, they're getting production from the offense right now. I'm just kind of concerned about that defense because it's so banged up. And, you know, most of the teams in the Big 12, with the exception of probably Iowa State, have good offenses. Yeah, I think uh, Kobe Bryant, he left in a walking boot. And um, give me the name of the defensive lineman that he's probably their best lineman. I I just brain locked on Uh, Lonnie Phelps Jr. Lonnie Phelps, he played sparingly. He was banged up coming in. I mean, you're missing Daniels. You're missing Highshaw. On the offensive side, um, oh, I'm I am not disappointed at all with Jason Bean. You know he's going to occasionally have that pass. You kind of scratch your head about. It. He was picked off twice, but but Brad, you you score forty two on the road in conference play. You would expect to come out on top eight nine out of ten times, and you give up over four hundred passing yards, three hundred rushing yards. I mean. They just didn't, other than when OU goofed and turned, I think they put it on the ground a couple of times. They just were unstoppable. I, I barely got into the car and got the game on, and it was 7 nothing. <laughs> and KU scored, and then OU scored right again, and I thought to myself, that is that is not good. Gabriel's already rolling, and it, it just, they play, try, had to play catch-up all day long, and you just cannot do that. I think Jason Bean is is maybe probably exceeded my expectations. Um, he's he's playing really well. They can win ball games with him, but they can't win 40, 52 to forty two. Yeah, you can't ask Jason Bean to put up forty two points every week. I don't think that's just not fair uh, for a backup quarterback to put those kind of expectations on him. You know, if if you can get, you know, honestly, Scott, if you can get 20, 31 points from Jason Bean's offense every week, I think you're going to be, you have to be happy with that. So at some point, the defense is just going to have to make the adjustments and try to make some plays. I mean, I don't know how you do that because, uh, you know, one thing that Lance Leipold has been very well known of doing that's adjust is met, that's making adjustments to his personnel. I don't know. Maybe they try to hold on to the ball a little bit more. Maybe they try to try to grant out some, some drives instead of trying to for the big plays all the time which Jason Bean has, has shown that he can do. He, he can chuck the ball. He can make the big plays. So I don't know if maybe they try to turn more into a, a grinded-out kind of team because that's the one thing Lance Leipold, like I said, has been well-known for doing, and that is adjusting to his personnel. Well, I think one place that they have more than enough is at the receiving core. How about, how about Andale's own Mason Fairchild, Brad? Six yep. catches, 106 yards, two touchdowns. Arnold five for one thirteen two touchdowns so they have a lot of weapons out 
um, at the wideout. Devin Neal, I think you're getting production. They have a couple of solid backs behind him. That was one place they were deep. But like you mentioned, if, if they can't get healthy on defense, boy, they're going to have to steal a game or two down the stretch somewhere um, to get bowl eligible, to get above 500. And and maybe this week is one of them. They're at 3-3 three and three Baylor, who lost in overtime to West Virginia, 43-40. to 40. What, what do you think about that game down in Waco? Uh, Baylor struggling a little bit. We know they're still a solid team, uh, a winnable game. What do you think about Saturday? Well, first of all, can the Jayhawks get a PM start at some point? Is this another 11 o'clock? <laughs> it is. Oh, gee, many. <laughs> another 11 a.m. kick for the Jayhawks. Uh, yeah, it's going to be one of the more winnable games. And the thing that I do like, though, Scott, is that Kansas has two road wins already this year. They won at Houston. They won at West Virginia. So it's not like that you can say, well, Kansas has been terrible on the road. And, of course, they won at Texas last year also. So it, it's, it's something that you like to think that, okay, it, it's – if you look at their schedule, I think that there's probably two games that you would say are games that are at worst 50-50. This is one of them. And I think the other one is Texas Tech. I think you can also maybe maybe on the 60-40 side, Kansas State. I think a lot will depend on how healthy the Jayhawks are going into some of these games. You know, the good thing is after this week, Scott, the, the Jayhawks get a week off. So I, I think that comes at a perfect time. And if they can somehow beat Baylor, go into that bye week, and try to get a little bit healthy going into the final four games. Uh, I think they're going to feel pretty good about things. I'm not sold on Texas. I think that's that. I think that could be as much as a 50-50 game with a healthy KU team. I'm, I'm just not sold on Texas. Well, let's not forget TCU just beat Oklahoma State also. So yeah. a, a team that Kansas was what 25 yards away from potentially beating, uh, lost by seven. So it it this is about as open as I could ever seen the Big 12 right now. Well, let me pose this question to you, Brad. If, if, let's, let's say KU um, beats Baylor. They get their sixth win. They're bowl eligible, um, have potential to pick up a seventh win um, somewhere along the way. And Jalen Daniels is 80%, 85% healed with his shoulder. Do you put him back out there anytime this season? <sighs> I guess a lot will depend on how well how Jason Bean is doing. I think if you get that six win against Baylor, and you know if he's just not quite a hundred and he's not going to be quite a hundred percent, I don't know, man. I, I'm not sure I would risk that if Bean is continuing to play like this. Now, Daniels is he still eligibility wise just a sophomore? Yeah, he still has his COVID year. I think he's listed as a junior, so next year would be a senior year. But he does have his COVID year if he, if he would uh, choose to, to take it. If they're bull eligible at any point and it's not coming down to one of those last games, I don't put him on the field unless he is 100% with a separated throwing shoulder. I, I don't do it. I don't risk my future, especially when he could play, as you mentioned, potentially two more seasons for KU. I I don't risk it. I, I I just don't unless the doctor says he is 100% healthy. I don't put him back on the field at any point before that. Or it could be one of those things where he can play on it. It's not going to get worse, but it's going to hurt like hell. Or, you know, essentially that it, it, he's at 85%. It's not going to get worse, though. Yeah, and he's not going to damage it anymore. If there's any chance of that, no, I don't. He doesn't even sniff the field. He doesn't even dress. Um, as far as I'm, he's too valuable, in my opinion, to the future. And 
uh, unfortunately, with the injuries and I think the future isn't this season, but it's still a season that that can could finish. You know, if I, if I had to pick right now, Brad, uh, seven and five, I think is a is a nice mark to shoot for right now with a tough schedule, but winnable games. And again, if you had told me seven and five and a bowl game at the beginning of the year, I think anybody that didn't raise their hand that would said, "I'll take it," is lying to you. Yeah, but unfortunately, though, a five and zero start does change the perspective yeah. of things, and I don't think that there is any but any KU fan who wouldn't agree with that. But absolutely, I think even right now, Scott, if KU beats Baylor and that's their last regular season win, they go to a bowl game, and let's say they win that seven and six in a bowl win. I mean, I I, I would I, I would throw myself down a flight of stairs with with happiness if that would happen. Uh, I I would as well. It's uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch. And again, they'll play eleven o'clock at Baylor this weekend. You can also listen to that game on 94.7. Uh, staying in the Big 12, uh, TCU, as you mentioned, uh, defeated Oklahoma State in overtime, 43-40. to 40. And next up, coming off the bye, Brad, the two teams in first place in Fort Worth, TCU, K-State, who wins? I think I think T- I think what you got right here are the two toughest teams in the Big Twelve. You know, maybe the two most um, you know mentally stable teams. Maybe the two just the the, the two teams that I think are just the mentally toughest teams in the Big Twelve. And uh, I, th- I I like what TCU is doing, man. I really do. I'm I'm going to give the edge of TCU in this one. Playing at home, they just got the big comeback one. They've got to be believing like nobody else right now that they can uh, take down anybody right now. And, uh, you know, K-State's obviously playing well. Adrian Martinez is having a great run right now, uh, literally and figuratively. So, but, but man, I, I really like what I see with TCU, Scott. Now, somebody told me that Martinez was out. Is that incorrect? I have not heard anything about that. I, I'm not saying he is, but I have not heard anything about him maybe being out. Okay. All right. Yeah, that that's a – Wow, that's a tough because TCU then, if they would win that game, they would still have Texas, but they would have already beaten um, everybody that was expected to compete at the top. They would have beaten KU, K-State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Um, yeah, Texas would be the biggest roadblock left for the Horn Frogs. So this is a, a monster game. Well, and for K-State, but K-State's schedule certainly going to turn tough. Uh, they have not played – um, really besides Oklahoma, the big boys yet in the, in the Big 12, they, they've got everybody coming up. So I think this is uh, maybe even a bigger game for K-State because they because of the schedule. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, with the top two teams getting to the Big 12, there is just our Big 12 championship game. There is just that ever slight room for uh, for error if you, uh, for one of these teams to uh, make it to the Big 12 championship game. Uh, I might go as far as saying that the winner of this game will be playing in the Big 12 championship game. I would agree that whoever wins this is going to be playing in December in that fall game. Well, let's stay uh, amongst the college ranks, Brad, and the Sterling Warriors coming off of their first win against Bethany in the homecoming matchup had a big crash back to earth on Saturday as they fell to one and five following the friends 42 to seven um, in a game that just boy I tell you it you go against a triple option team and that's what the the friends Falcons are this year Brad um, 
and Fringe just came out and 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 did what a triple option team did. They were getting the fullback established. They were controlling the clock. It seemed like every time they could get out on the edge with the pitch or or even a toss sweep, they would get um, chump plays and they just held on to the ball. Uh, Friends rushed for 309 yards. Uh, Sterling just could not um, get on the board. They would move the ball, and it would either be a, a, a penalty, a turnover on downs, or a turnover. They threw four interceptions between the two quarterbacks in this ball game, and it was just a, it was just a long day when, when Friends just kept grinding out touchdowns throughout this game, and it was, it, it, it was a tough one. Tough one to watch, and it's gonna be tough to tough to bounce back as you, as you thought this was a winnable game going in. Well, based on the triple option and my knowledge of seeing teams like Hutch High through the years, you know, run that uh, the uh, the option like that, I see Friends was nine out of fourteen on third down efficiency, which means I'm guessing they had a lot of third and one, third and two. They did. Okay, so that that's really what the triple option does is. It puts you in situations where if you get the third down, you don't need very much. And they averaged 6.5 yards per offensive play. So, you know, you get the third and two. It's it's almost a given that they're going to get the first down. And they ran, what, 24 more plays. They were in the red zone a heck of a lot more. Seven attempts, six touchdowns uh, for, for the Friends Falcons. And even their passing game was fairly effective. Six out of ten for 131 yards. So, uh, it, it just... It was just complete domination by the Falcons. Uh, 26 first downs of 12. Just really nothing going uh, Sterling's way. It, it wasn't even one of those games, unfortunately, where maybe at halftime they're down 20 to 7 or something like that. And you think, okay, you know, they if they get a stop and get the ball back and get some points on the board, they're right in this game. No, they, they, they were down 35 nothing going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. And then you mentioned the passing. That was, again, perfect triple option you know you're getting everybody sucked up a little bit closer a little bit closer then you release somebody over the top and then the quarterback was uh, dead on with the throws um so yeah uh and it gets even tougher this week as they'll travel to bethel who suffered their first loss Bradley casey ac at the top is now in a well i say three-way tie it's technically a two-way tie with avila and southwestern at six and one as avila just got done beating bethel uh, 28-14, Bethel has played one less conference game, Avila and Southwestern, still with their bye weeks to come. So, in effect, if they all went out, you could see a three-way tie. Uh, boy, Bethel Bethel been so good all year, and Avila really stymied him. Bethel had 50 carries for 42 yards against <laughs> the wow. defense, turned it over four times, and just – and they only had 98 passing yards. I mean, the Avila defense, just for the first time this year, Bethel just couldn't do anything offensively. And so, you know, they're going to be looking to rebound. They got a former uh, – A.B. Stokes was a warrior during his playing days. He, he did really well at uh, Larnard High School as a head coach, and now he's doing a fantastic job in his first year at Bethel, and they still have a ton to play for. So another, another really, really tough road test coming up for the Warriors then they come home and play Southwestern. So these next two weeks, Brad are against the two of the three best teams in the conference. Yeah, that doesn't, uh, doesn't spell very good news here for Sterling. Um, you know, they had their opportunity to maybe come back against like, uh, after a good win and at least compete. And that just didn't happen. And now you got, 
Bethel. Then you got Southwestern before the schedule lightens up a little bit toward the end. But uh, th- this is going to be tough sledding these next couple weeks. Again, that game will be 1 o'clock, 12.30 pregame on 95.9 and the SC Warriors Sports Network. Well, we'll slip into the professional ranks, Brad, and I know you watched, as did I, as the Chiefs fell for the second time this year to a 4-2 and two record as they lost at home to the Buffalo Bills. 24-21 to 21 in a back-and-forth ball game. Ah. Uh, it's hard for me to know where to start out the discussion for this game, Brad. Is it, it just, I don't know. A lot of people are going to point, a lot of people like to point fingers at the Chiefs defense, Brad, and some of the couple of the losses that they have had. This was the, at least the third game that I have seen this year that the Chiefs have played, that the offense has had the ball in the fourth quarter around the four to five minute mark with a chance to end the ball game and have been unable to do so and punt the ball back. This game was the same. It was a three and out. And then they had the ball back. We know about the last turnover. Um, I don't know, Brad. Mahomes, as well as he played in this game, he is a big reason why they lost the game. The two turnovers that he committed – forcing the one into the end zone on their first drive where at least you got to come away with points, uh, three points there. And then the last one, a place you can't put the ball, still a chance to maybe get down and get a late touchdown. Um, boy, he he's, he's doing a couple of those things. He's trying at times, it seems like, to do too much to win these games for him. I did have read a breakdown in the Kansas City Star about that last interception. And it was pretty much unanimous between the Chiefs and the Bills that the guy who made the interception made, you know, one of the best plays that they had seen a defensive player make. Just reading it, anticipating the cut, everything, just uh, just the play overall was just so good. Now, having said that, um, I do wish to see, you know, the, the, the one complaint I have about Mahomes is that in that situation, it's first and ten. I don't see any need to try to force a throw that that's fourth down. Hey, fair, or even third and 10. Hey, fair enough. You're, you're trying to make a play. You're down, you're down to the end. Okay. Fair enough. On first and 10, I, I don't think you need to take any chances at all. You know, I, I think unless you got a wide open pass or you can scramble for five, six, seven yards or something like that, just throw that ball into the, in, into the grass or, you know, throw it at the receiver's ankles or something like that. You know, just I, I just don't see the need to try to make the play there. And that's just the kind of guy Patrick Mahomes is. You know, he's going to he he's he's the kind of guy who's a perfectionist. He wants to make that throw every time. And I think that he is getting better about recognizing when to take chances and when not to take chances. But that was one of those times I think that he doesn't need to take the chance there and try to whip it in there. No, he 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 didn't. Not in not in that situation. In the one on the first drive, that's just one you got to come away with points there. That's and you're in chip shot field goal range and you, you force one um, right. Trying to force it in between two defenders. And we saw how that turned out as ultimately the chiefs left six points um, out there, you know, a, a chip shot field goal there. And then the 51 yarder they missed, you kind of got to give Butker a pass on that is the one before that he drills an arrowhead record. Was it 62 yarder now there at halftime would have been good from 70. Um, so, yeah, and, and another – I think it was obvious in that game, Brad, that there was a couple of rookie corners out there for the Chiefs as, 
well, I tell you, Josh Allen shredded them a couple of times. When the Chiefs brought pressure, he recognized he had one-on-one, made perfect throws to get those over-the-top touchdowns. The, the Chiefs need to get a little healthier um, in the secondary as well. Yeah, and, uh, I, I really think also that you can't get over the – I mean, 24 points. If you told me the Chiefs are going to hold them to 24 points, I'd say the Chiefs yeah. win this one by 7 to 10 points. Uh, I'll tell you where I'm most disappointed, guys, with the rushing game. Yes. You know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, nine carries for 33 yards. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, just two carries. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, Pacheco got on the field to rush the ball. Uh, Mahomes was your second-leading rusher, four for 21 yards. I mean, Travis Kelsey, yards. Uh, as much as I try to I try to like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and he's got the ability, I think, but uh, I just don't see it with him as a running back, Scott. I just don't. And – I know he's a first-round draft pick, and he can't give up on him, and it's like, what, is this his third year or whatever? And, and no, he's got the ability to make big plays, whatever, but I'm just having a hard time seeing it right now with him as a, as a feature back. I, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't see it. Jarrett McKinnon did well last year, late in the season. We've seen what Pacheco could do. Now, he's a rookie, you know, a, a complicated playbook like Andy Reid's. So I think it's going to be tough for him to really get that every-down kind of status right now, but – uh, help me out here, Scott. Am I am I am I just missing something with Clyde Edwards Schiller? Because I just don't see it. Uh, boy, I'm I'm not sold. I'm, I'm maybe, not maybe as a pass catcher, but even then, he's had a couple times like Mahomes hit him in the back of the helmet one time. I mean, dude, turn around and find the ball. Um, th- nine carries for thirty three yards. I ain't going to get it done. No, and that is that's this. I think then that goes also to my earlier point of the inability to finish a game offensively when you had the chance to, to put the opponent away. And a lot of that has to do with the inability to run the football in those situations. You're needing to at least run on a down or two in a set of downs to work the clock, use team and get teams to use their timeouts and get first downs. And I, I think maybe that's the most disappointing part of the offense is, is having chances. I said they had a chance in the Colts game. They couldn't do it. They had a chance in the Raiders game to finish that game. They couldn't do it. And then again on Sunday, they had a chance to win that game offensively and not let Josh Allen get another possession. And they were unable to do it again. And I, I think that's I think those go one and one hand in hand. When you can't run the ball consistently, you do have trouble finishing out games. Right. And Again, I think uh, Pacheco could be the guy later in the season, kind of like McKinnon was later in the season. And, and we live in a different world in the NFL. You know, you don't run the ball very much, uh, at least like you, you know did you know during the '90s or you know during the '80s or whatever. So, but you know, I'd still look at you know the Bills got a pretty good running. You know, Devin Singletary, 17 carries for 85 yards. You know, Josh Allen actually was was pretty much held in check uh, on the ground game. Just 12 carries for 32 yards. I mean, he's not going to have many games like that, but still Singletary for 85 yards. That's five yards a carry. And, you know, that that's that was a big reason that they were able to win it. Definitely. Um, then, of course, losing the head-to-head tiebreaker with the Bills um, really hurts in this one now to, to have a bye in home field, assuming the Bills continue – what we think they're going to do this season, you would have to finish a game in front of them for them to ever have to come to Arrowhead. And it's not that, you know, Arrowhead's not a warm city in January. Obviously, Buffalo, you can have, you know, 80 below and 20 feet of snow on the field. But it's not that that's a, not a winnable game. 
that the Chiefs couldn't go on the road and win. But, boy, you always like to have the home crowd sleep in your own bed in that situation. And now the Chiefs, before they can get to their bye, still have to go out to San Francisco um, this weekend. The 49ers, a, a, a hard team to figure out. Um, they were going to go with Trey Lance. He looked awful. He got um, injured. Now Garoppolo's in there. They're 3-3. Three and three. They, they, At times they look good. At times they don't. Um, you certainly can't have a hangover, Brad, or they'll be four and three going into the bye. But what, what do you think about Chiefs Niners this weekend? Good defense. That's what concerns me is that you yep. know this look this looks like the kind of game that they lost to the Colts. You know, kind of an ugly low scoring game, a couple turnovers on the road. I mean, the the 49ers have given up 89 points so far this year. You know how many teams have given up less points than that? None. Uh, just the Buffalo Bills. The Bills. <laughs> So that's it. Now, on the other hand, they've only scored 122 points. And you look at, you know, teams throughout the NFL, and, uh, you know, that's that's not good. You see teams like the Saints and the Falcons, they, they, they've scored more. You know, the Vikings have scored more. The Eagles have scored a lot more. The Giants, you know, the Raiders, the Chiefs, the Chargers. I mean, there's a lot – you know, that that's about a middle-range offense. But, you know, this is the kind of team that the Chiefs, honestly, have kind of struggled against through the years on the road. You know, the, the, a team that's – you know, a borderline playoff team, nine and eight, eight and nine, whatever it is you want to say. But I, I, I don't know. This, this kind of this, this matchup, kind of makes me nervous. It made me as well. I was just thinking the same thing. These are head scratching games. They're the ones that, when you looked at the the schedule or looked at how the teams were performing when they played the Colts, you thought, oh, the, you know, the Chiefs should win that by at least a couple touchdowns. They lose the ball game. You're, you're kind of thinking the, the same thing in this one. Um, Boy, it could be a tight one, and I'm glad Harrison Butker's back, and they may they may need him late in that one. Uh, before we leave the NFL to uh, one other topic, or a couple other topics, Brad, am I the only one, and it'd be hard for me to believe, is, is anybody else sick of Tom Brady and his little two-year-old tantrums on the sideline? Is this last weekend he's caught – cursing out his offensive lineman on the sideline for uh, for whatever went on in their 20 to 18 he he lost at Pittsburgh um, this past weekend I'm you know it's about time for Tom to look in the mirror if he wants to see part of what's wrong with the Buccaneers it ain't all the offensive line well if I'm not mistaken it almost seemed like that the offensive line was kind of tuning him out didn't didn't appear that way I I I think they have started to do that, Brad. I think they have. I think they've had it like a lot of other people are with his subpar play at sometimes, and then everybody making excuses for why that was an incompletion or why he was sacked or whatever it might be. I I, I think I think you're seeing some unraveling coming on there in Tampa Bay. Well, Father Time's undefeated too, and the uh, but on top of that, the Bucks coach said something kind of interesting. That he said he still that he thinks a lot of the players are still kind of basking in the glow of their Super Bowl win. That wasn't last year though, Scott. That was two years ago. <laughs> it's about time to get over that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, hey, the Rams are still basking in the glow of theirs, and they're maybe kind of coming having a hard time coming on down off the high. Hey, understandable, especially this early in the season. Still, if that's the case with the Bucks, that's that that's I'm sorry, that, that's that's pathetic. That that is if that if that is truly going on, that's 
that's pretty sad. And, and, and he's not the, you know, Tom Brady, he's, he's struggled. Aaron Rodgers is struggling. What, what's going on with the, uh, uh, some of the older statesman quarterbacks in the league right now, the, the, the packs pack and the bucks not playing well at all. Well, it's uh, it's kind of becoming a younger uh, these days. And, uh, you know, the, the, the defenses are getting younger and faster. I think the, you know, uh, <sighs> You know, Brady, uh, we, we knew that Father Time would catch up with him, and I'm not saying that it has or is going to because just when you write off Tom Brady is when he, is when he comes back as strongest. So I think it's uh, pretty fruitless to try to write him off. But, yeah, you know, Rodgers isn't off to a good start this year. You know, you're seeing some unheralded teams like the Giants and the Eagles doing well. So it's been kind of a topsy-turvy, at least in the NFC anyway, it seems a little topsy-turvy. It is. It's a uh, – you never can figure out the NFL. I guess that's probably why it – is always going to be king here in the U.S. Is you tune in every week, you never know who's going to beat who, and that that keeps it a lot of fun. I will say that. Uh, well, it is playoff baseball time. We have seen uh, um, some upsets, some of the teams moving on. We didn't think we would, and one of them, Brad, of course, is the San Diego Padres, who have knocked the Dodgers out of the playoffs, and an incredible. Stat from the past came up. I saw this this last week on the greatest Padre of them all, Tony Gwynn. I don't know if you saw this, Brad. It, it showed what his career batting average was in counts that had two strikes. And it was 302. <laughs> in 1994, it was 397 in that season with two strikes. And you know who... It was had the second best batting average all time with two strikes and what it was. Do you have any idea? I would guess maybe somebody like Pete Rose. It was actually Wade Boggs. And you know what the average was? I'll say like 275. 262. <laughs> and just for people who don't know their, their math very well, that's 50 or excuse me, 40 points less than Tony Gwynn's career average easily smoking anybody in the neighborhood batting average with two strikes. I mean, that just goes to show, I mean, I've often considered him one of the great, if not the greatest contact hitter that ever played the ball game. That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you just don't see players like him anymore. Now it's, uh, you know, a strikeout or home run uh, league. And um, I'm not saying I'm a big fan of that, but, uh, you know, it's just that baseball makes uh, these ebbs and flows. And right now it's just a pitcher dominant league. And it seems like unless you're hitting home runs, you're not getting on base at all. You know, I had the stat there a week or two ago on our podcast that, you know, Aaron Judge, he struck out more this season than Tony Gwynn did in the decade of the 90s. <laughs> uh, just re- you, you just don't see players uh, – you know, it, it used to be able to see quite a few players that would uh, kind of have a, maybe a few more strikeouts than walks or even guys like George Brett would have more walks than strikeouts. I mean, the, you, you don't see anything like that anymore, not even close. Oh, not even close. Tony Tony Gwynn, not just putting the bat on the ball with two strikes, getting on base a third of the time, over a third, almost a third of the time with two strikes. I just thought that was a – Incredible stat I came across. Well, one other thing before we get to our final thoughts, Brad, it was media day time in the KCAC for men's and women's basketball this past week. And really, no surprise, it was a tale of two ends of the spectrum for the two Sterling teams as 
the media and the coaches both picked the Sterling Lady Warriors uh, to win the conference this year, and both the media and the coaches picked the Sterling Warrior men to finish dead last. I, I don't think anybody was surprised by that, um, but that just kind of confirmed what I was thinking. Yeah, I think we know that uh, you know Randy Stang, the new coach at uh, at Sterling. I think we know that he's got kind of a difficult job ahead. This is this is not going to be a one or two year fix in Sterling. This is. This is going to be a project, and uh, when I say a project, I'm talking it could be four or five years before Sterling really kind of rebounds and starts contending again. That's not to say that they can't see improvement. That's not to say they can't get to, you know, double-digit wins this year and, and, and win a few conference games or whatever, but um, it's, it's going to take time to, to get this Sterling College men's basketball program up and running again. Uh, you know, the Sterling College women's program has been established for so many years uh, with Coach Bassett and Coach Cruz before that, so... Uh, they're they're well established. It's going to take a while for Sterling uh, men to get to to a point where they're competitive, but I do think that uh, you have to start at some point. And uh, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see what Randy Sane can do. He's obviously hasn't coached in uh, what about a quarter century, but I think he, he's going to bring stability. He's not going to be the kind of guy who's looking out, out of one corner of his eye for his next job or whatever. He's got a lot of connections in the industry, so I think uh, it's going to be um, it's it's good it, it's it's a good hire. And I think that uh, he's going to do well, but it, there's going to be some struggles along the way. Yeah, I had him on that halftime of the, the homecoming game, the Sterling, when they played Bethany and won that ball game. It was a lot of fun conversation. He was really not happy with the uh, schedule that he was handed. Of course, he had nothing to do with setting up the schedule as they start with uh, ranked Mid-American Nazarene on their home floor and then receiving votes of Angel up in the Mid-American Nazarene Classic. So it's uh, to say it could be a tough start to the season for them. It's going to be uh, certainly could be the case. And tough start for the Lady Warriors. I, I think I'll get to see their opener on uh, Thursday the 5th. I think it's Thursday the 5th where they play receiving votes, College of the Ozarks. And then on that Saturday at the Lonnie Cruz Classic, they will play number six Morningside. So what <laughs> you talk about uh, – Scheduling difficult non-conference, Coach Bassett certainly not shying away from a tough schedule. Well, I also see they're playing Barton and Hutch in uh, some uh, games coming up as well. Uh, Hutch, Hutch uh, Blue Dragon women picked to win the, the Jayhawk West this year and have one of the top players in the country in Maya Williams. So I tell you, uh, even their games uh, you know, before then, uh, they're going to be very well, very well tested. Yeah, they're going to scrimmage those two coming up very shortly and That'll be it's going to be a lot of fun. I look forward to basketball season, which is just really a couple of weeks away at the collegiate level. Again, that is our regular topics for this evening. So we will now get your final thoughts. Well, Scott, on Monday, uh, I uh, refereed a soccer game up in Illyria, which is a tiny little town just south of McPherson. And uh, Illyria Christian hosted Hayes. And there was nothing really anything spectacular about the game Hayes won eight to nothing so it was a cool day and I actually wore long sleeves something I never really do but what really stood out to me about this Scott is how well you're treated when you go to Illyria Christian you know we talk all you hear all the time Scott about what do we have to do to get more referees or, or maintain referees and look fan behavior is bad we know that is it going to change I don't know I mean it, it's it's hard for me to say that 
fan behavior is going to change to the point where more referees are going to say, oh, I want to stick with this. You're going to get new referees. But one thing that people can do, and I'm not just talking about schools, I'm talking about organizations can do, is to take care of your officials. And what Illyria Christian does, first of all, I don't hear any complaints, so that's great. You know, you're, you're treated well by the fans when you go there. But it's more than that. Uh, Zach Goodrich is the AD there. He meets you there with a smile on his face. He takes you to – it's their weight room, so it's uh, that's that's where the officials meet before and uh, halftime and after the games is in the weight room. But the fact that they still, in a small school like that, find you a place where the referees can gather and meet and talk before the game, talk about the kind of game you can expect, et cetera. Uh, they've got a cool cooler full of water there, a few Snickers bars waiting for you there. And, uh, you know, he, he greets you at smile with, at halftime, takes you to the locker room there. And, again, no one's complaining. I mean, people are thanking you at Illyria before the game even starts for being there. They're <laughs> thanking you before the game even starts, you know, for being there. And uh, after the game, you, you know, they're, they're, again, thanking you for, for your time and coming up and officiating. But, you know, even more than that, I mean, Scott, they catered Subway for the referees. And Subway is, what, a good six, seven, eight miles from Illyria up in McPherson? Just little gestures like that. It may not seem like a big deal to the schools. They just may, well, we need to get the referees some, some, some food. Well, I go to a lot of places where they may just have one candy bar for you there or maybe like a bag of chips or something. And, you know, it, I think that a lot of that goes on to the community uh, at the Illyria Christian and the athletic director, Zach Goodrich. And it, it, I can't begin to tell you, Scott, how much as an official I appreciate stuff like that. Absolutely. The – Zach Goodrich, uh, he, I think he's still my favorite Warrior men's basketball player of all time. He was a pleasure to watch, and of course, he's coached over at Tabor and now coaches there and teaches at Elyria Christian. Just a fantastic young man, and that that is that is nice to get treated like that. And uh, I can kind of piggyback off of uh, you being an official there and getting treated so well. As I, I'm not sure. I think a lot of people saw this, but I certainly thought it was well worth mentioning as there was history made in high school football this past Friday night at the Wamigo Clearwater game in Clearwater. It was the first time ever in the history of the state of Kansas that the White Hat was a female. Carmen Doremus Kinley became the first ever female to referee and lead a crew in a high school football game in the state of Kansas. She's been officiating football now for about 10, 11 years. She's officiated volleyball, softball, numerous sports. Um, everybody I talk to has just the highest uh, amount of praise at the job she has done. And I think, Brad, it just goes to prove we talk about needing officials and I've had people ask me, and I, I almost take offense to the question, if I think that a, a female can do a good job officiating um, an all-men's sport as football. And I was like, well, absolutely. Haven't they already proven themselves? There's, there's at least two regular female officials on NFL officiating um, crews now. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. And there's a need for that. And I think they can do just as good or better job than some of the men officials out there. So I'm, I'm all for this. And I thought that was a, I thought that was a great thing. Now it was a dud of a game. I mean, Wamigo just blasted Clearwater, but um, I think that's just going to be the first of more and more 
accomplished female officials that we see. And she also has done, I've, I've seen her officiate uh, basketball at the KCAC level. She's been in, worked in the JUCO ranks and NJCAA and the Jayhawk. Um, fantastic official. Congratulations to her. And I think it, we're going to see a lot more of that. And I'm all for it. Well, it's like uh, I, I she was one of the ones I interviewed for like uh, the 50 uh, for 50 stories about Title IX for the Kansas State High School Activities Association. And one thing that she mentioned to me was, you know, there's there's a lot of little girls who come to those football games and they're usually there to watch their brother or maybe watch the cheerleaders or participate in the cheer clinic or whatever. But, you know, she can't help but think that there's some little girl sitting in the stands and thinking or talking to their parents and saying, Mommy, look at that girl out there. Can I do that too? Mm -hmm. And I certainly hope that their parents will say, well, absolutely he can. So, you know, she she understands what she's doing out there, not just from the terms of, you know, calling a game, but she understands that, you know, hey, I, I can help alleviate this problem or I can show girls that, hey, just because this is a sport that's predominantly played by men doesn't mean that you can't be out here being a part of this too. And as she's shown, you know, she's obviously a capable official. You know, she's done Keisha playoff games before, and now, you know, she's going to probably get to the point where she's going to give even bigger assignments and potentially, you know, quarterfinals, semifinals, even state championship games. And definitely it's, uh, it's, it's a good story and, and definitely, uh, w- you know, wish her the, the best, but definitely would like to see more uh, like her out there, on, not just in the football field, but uh, in, in all sports. Yeah, like I said, there's such, such a need for it, and they're, they're proving – that they can do a fantastic job. And I hope we continue to see more of that. So again, uh, if you want to see the entire Ad Astra schedule, you can go to adastraradio.com and the sports page and enjoy all of those ball games. But for tonight's View from the Press Box for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Enjoy your week.